Good afternoon. Good afternoon, church. Church. Uh, I'm becoming more and more Aussie. Church. Uh, my name is Paul. I'm the campus pastor here at New Philly, Sydney, along with my wife, Jamie. And uh, it's my privilege to share with you the Word of God this afternoon. You guys excited for the Word? All right. All right, thank you. Thank you for the compliment, Jen. <laughs> um, and why don't we start with... Actually, why don't we read the passage first? Let's turn to Genesis. That's the first book in the Bible. So Genesis chapter 2. All right, we're going to start at verse 18, and we're going to read uh, quite a good chunk. So stay with me. You want to keep your Bibles open? Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. I'm reading from the ESV. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Let's continue reading, chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. All right, let's keep reading. A few more verses. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. This is the word of the Lord. All right, let's pray together. Uh, Father God, we thank you for your uh, awesome word. And I pray that you would speak uh, today, even through me, God, that you would anoint, that you would anoint this message, that you would help me uh, to think and to speak clearly and boldly 
and in the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit, God. And I pray for everyone who's listening here, that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand your truth and your ways and the grace to walk in them. God, so we pray your blessing upon this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been going through a series on dating and romance. Pastor Christian has been addressing a lot of the common questions that people ask about dating. And it's a good, it's a good topic uh, because New Philly has a lot of single people. All the single people in the house? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but, you know, it, it's, it's, good to know, it's, it's good to know about uh, how to do some godly dating. But I also wanted to talk a little bit about marriage. Okay? So it's also good to know about marriage. See, I've been married for about five years. In two weeks, less than two weeks, it's going to be our five-year anniversary. Yeah. And that means I am an expert on marriage. Five years. You do anything five years, that makes you an expert, right? And um, I've also read some books on marriage. So that makes me a double expert on marriage. So I am quite qualified to speak on this topic. I'm just kidding. But, um, yeah, I think it's good for us to uh, learn what the Bible teaches about marriage. And because, you know, our culture has, uh, our culture today has a lot of twisted and distorted views about marriage that are very different from not only traditional views of marriage, but biblical views on marriage. And marriage as an institution is under constant attack from all corners today. From all corners of society. People are talking about not, not believing in marriage anymore. Does it even work? Is it even worth it? Young people don't want to get married. They delay getting married. They avoid it. They're afraid of it. They're afraid of what in, what's involved that comes with marriage. And so there's all these views that people have about marriage, but so many of them are not rooted in the biblical teaching about marriage, but they're learning from the culture. Like Disney movies, right? Disney movies begin when a romance begins, and then it ends when the romance ends. And they teach that, you know, the meaning in life, we're supposed to find meaning in life through romance and through love. And, you know, it's things like that that we kind of absorb from the culture, and it's giving us these twisted views about Love and romance and marriage. And uh, I think we need some good, solid biblical teaching on this topic. So we're turning to Genesis, which is the book of beginnings. It's the first book in the Bible. And Genesis is like, you know, we're reading the second and third chapter. And so it's the drama of history just unfolding. And the setting has just been set. The setting has just been set, right? So uh, chapter one, God creates the heavens and the earth. He fills them with all kinds of living creatures and all kinds of things, the sun and the moon, the stars, all this. He sets the stage, and then he puts man to work in the garden, and then, you know, what's the, one of the first things you see? There's a wedding. There's a marriage. And so, in God's mind, marriage is pretty important. It's a pretty important subject, and it's pretty important that we understand it right, rightly. Because you see, the Bible also ends with the marriage. At the end of Revelation, at the end of history, the Bible not only begins with the marriage, but it ends with the marriage. And this is the marriage between Jesus Christ, the Lamb, and His bride, the church. That's His people. And so you see, marriage is a huge theme 
that runs from beginning to end in the Bible. And if we don't understand God's design for marriage, but we take our cues from the culture and from the world that's telling us, then, then we're going to go, think about it all wrong. We're going to enter into it all wrong. We're going to do it all wrong when we're in it. And so we need to learn a little bit about marriage. And, you know, I wish I could spend uh, quite a few months on this topic, but I can't because, you know, we need to cover many different topics uh, from, from the pulpit in this church. Uh, so, yeah, I just want to do, you know, I wanted to do a short series on the beginning of Genesis. And I wanted to start with marriage because we've been talking about dating. Okay? But there's a lot of good books on marriage I would like to point you to out there. Uh, a couple of the ones that have influenced me most, uh, one's by John Piper. It's called This Momentary Marriage. It's based on the passage that Jen just read. You know, you know I, forget, I forget what it said, but it's like, you know, it's only momentary, right? You know, even husbands and their wives, they're only momentary. So John Piper, This Momentary Marriage. Another really good one is uh, by Tim Keller called The Meaning of Marriage. And there's a lot of other good ones out there, but uh, those are two that have been really uh, influential for me. So I'll point you to them if you want to uh, study more on your own. We're also looking to have some more uh, ministry for married couples, uh, premarital counseling. You know, we got the dating protocol and uh, guidance for all that stuff. So uh, we got a lot of stuff to help. Uh, because as a church, we are committed to uh, seeing and, and building good marriages, solid marriages here in this church. Because it's so important in the Bible and it's so important in the life of God's people. So here in chapter 2, we see the first wedding, the first marriage. And who officiates none other than God himself? God is officiating, but he's also the father who's giving away Eve, the bride. Right? It says he brought her to the man. And so God is very involved in this wedding. He's officiating. He's giving away the bride. And what we see here is that the first poetry, the first art we see in the Bible is in this wedding. Because, you know, there's something beautiful about marriage that causes us to burst forth. And, you know, people today write all these songs, poetry about love, right, about romance, about this beautiful girl, you know, who's, yeah, anyways, right? So, you know, we, all, this, all this artwork that's coming out. And, you know, even in the Bible, we see that. What does Adam say? You know, God was trying to create a helper for her, for her, for him. Uh, and he breaks out when he sees her and he says, this at last, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. You know, this at last. What's, what's he saying? What's the cry of his heart? He's saying, I've been waiting for you all my life. Finally, at last. You know, my whole life, the whole day that I've been created, you know, these many hours, finally, at last. But, you know, it's a a reflection of our hearts. See, God created us for marriage. You know, God says it is not good that the man should be alone. And one of the uh, meanings of that is that we were created to find this kind of union with someone of the opposite gender, right? That, That intimate marriage union. And that was designed from God. You see, God created marriage, not man. You know, there are, some people believe today, oh, marriage was a cultural man-made institution, you know, created in the Bronze Age because property and all this stuff and social status. No, it wasn't. Actually, the first two people that God created, God himself designed them for marriage. It is not good that the man should be alone. So he created a woman so that they could get married. 
and experience that kind of relationship, that kind of union. And so if God created marriage, then we should want to learn from him. We should want to learn what God says about marriage. Right? Not, not just learn from Disney or you know, Justin Bieber or whoever else it is, you know, all these movies and, uh, you know, stars out there. We, you know what I mean? Like, you know, if you think about it, celebrities, they're not that good at marriage. You know, like we, we don't really want to learn from them too much about marriage because they, a lot of them are kind of messed up. You know what I mean? Like if you look at their lives. I mean, some of them are, some of them are good. Okay, I don't want to hate all celebrities, but, you know, we want to learn from God because God, God knows what he's talking about. He created marriage. He knows how it works. Okay, so... You know, first I want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, the goodness of marriage, right? Marriage is good. You know, there are some people today who think, who kind of have hopeless, pessimistic views about marriage. And it might be because your personal experience, uh, experiences that you've had in relationships or, or that you've seen in your family, especially if you've seen divorces happen in your family. Uh, you know, many of us, we have pessimistic views about marriage. And it's very understandable. And we think, oh, so many marriages of even people that I know, uh, they're miserable in marriage or they get divorced or it doesn't work out and it's really hard. And so some people have this view about marriage, but the Bible teaches us right here. It says, this at last, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. It's a good thing that God created. If you... Walk it out according to God's design. And it also says, verse 25, the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. That's pretty amazing. Think about it. Right? I mean, you know, our culture today is so twisted that you know, some people think nudity is, you know, just a normal thing. But in general, in most cultures throughout history, like, if you walk out naked, you know what I mean? It's pretty shameful. Right? Like, you're, you're you know what I mean? It's, it's a pretty shameful thing. And especially... Not only physical nakedness, but emotional nakedness. Just being naked about who you are. Allowing someone to see to the bottom of everything about you. And all your flaws and all your weaknesses and all your warts and all your wrinkles and all this stuff. If If you allow someone to actually see you naked for who you are, that's a pretty shameful thing. We're not very comfortable with that. It's, it, 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 we feel vulnerable when you start to share. And if you share kind of the more delicate things about your life, you know, how is a person, is a person going to receive that with weight? Are they going to just step all over it? Are they going to make light of it? Are they going to mock and ridicule? Are, am I going to feel ashamed? You know, it's, it's, a, it's a vulnerable thing to be naked. To be, to be known for who you are down to the bottom, down to the depths. But to experience that and have no shame, to be naked and unashamed, now that is a powerful experience that will change your life. That someone knows everything about you. They know everything wrong about you, as well as everything good. They know everything about your past. They know everything, your deepest, darkest secrets. They know all about you, and yet they still love you, they still accept you. They're still committed to you just for who you are. And there's no shame. That's a powerful thing. And that 
is what God designed marriage for. That's pretty powerful. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And the best marriages, by God's grace, that's what you begin to experience. Someone who knows you to the depths and still loves you to the fullest. I will never leave you. I will love you. I will be faithful to you. I am committed to you till death do us part. That's, that's an amazing love that will transform you. It will change your life. And that's the goodness of marriage. Marriage is a good thing. God designed it for good. All right, so, uh, you know, if you have pessimistic uh, views of marriage, if you're afraid of it, if you're avoiding it for this or that reason, you know, marriage is a good thing. And we, you know, God created us with a longing for it, so that's good. But you see, there's a, there's a problem that the Bible doesn't end in Genesis 2 with they're naked and not ashamed. No, right? The next thing that happens is Satan comes in the form of serpent, and Adam and Eve, and actually Eve first, but they both, you know, they listen to what Satan says. And let me tell you this: uh, it's not a good idea to listen to Satan in general. If you, you know, if you want to learn from this. You know, Satan is not the best uh, theologian to tell you about what God is like. And if he's like, did God actually say this? You know, don't, don't listen to Satan, okay? That's, that's some good advice. But, um, you know, Adam and Eve, they listen to Satan. And they eat from this tree that God tells them, just from this tree, don't eat. And they, and they eat from it because of Satan. And then what happens? They, they start to experience conflict in their marriage. They start to experience shame. It says the eyes of both were open, and they were ashamed. And they sewed fig leaves together, and they covered themselves because they were ashamed. They finally saw, I am a flawed person. They start to see what was wrong with them. There's something wrong with me. There's something deeply flawed about who I am. And so they became insecure, and they began to cover up. Where they once experienced nakedness and no shame, now they experience covering and shame. And they are not able to experience the fullness of the blessing in marriage that God had designed them for. Because sin, because of sin, we are all so broken. God's amazing design for marriage, but because of sin, that's what makes marriage hard. So marriage is a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. My marriage with Jamie, it's, it's so good. It's amazing. Right? I am so blessed to be in this marriage, to be married to her. But at the same time, marriage is hard. You know, you need to be realistic. We need to look at Genesis 2, but also look at Genesis 3. Marriage is, God designed it for great things, but there's a brokenness. And many of us know firsthand about that kind of experience, that kind of brokenness in marriage and the kind of pain uh, that it causes. Why? Because God has created that relationship to be the most intimate relationship of all human relationships. And so that's why sin affects it so much. And there's so much brokenness. So you see, a biblical view of marriage is optimistic. There's a lot of good. Marriage is great. Marriage is wonderful, but it's also realistic. It's not going to solve all my problems. It's not going to only be, you know, roses and 
you know, sunshine every day. It's, it's going to be hard times. We're going to have to work through some hard things because of sin. So, see, see this, is, this is, we're moving towards a biblical understanding of marriage. Right? But in, in the culture today, and many of us, we're influenced by the culture's uh, thoughts and views on marriage. You know, um, people today, especially younger people, they are pessimistic about marriage because they think that their view of marriage is not a biblical one. It's not, oh, how do I love the other person? How do I be committed to the person? But it's more a selfish perspective of marriage. It's, what can that person do for me? How do they satisfy my desires? And we look for things like, oh, are they, are they fun? How, how do they satisfy me by having fun together? How do they satisfy me by how good they look, their beauty, their looks? How much money do they make? Yeah, let that conviction sink in, right? Yeah, so I know you guys think about that, right? How much money do they make? Okay, oh, how, how stimulated am I with them in conversation? You know, it's all about, you know, these are, these are, these are not necessarily bad things, right? Like, these are, these are good, but, but, you know, we make it all about us. How do they satisfy me? What can they do for me? How sexually attractive are they? Yeah, 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 Peter. <laughs> Hallelujah, right? God, the God is good, but, um, you know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry, Peter. Yeah, just kidding. Um, but, you know, it, our, our culture teaches us to think about marriage as, hey, what can the person do for me? Why? Because we live in a consumer society. Right? Everything is cost-benefit analysis. What am, I, what am I getting out of it for what I'm putting into it? What's my return on investment, ROI? Right? For those, for those of us who think that way. But this is how we think. You see, in a consumer relationship, we think, oh, for what I'm putting, for the cost I'm putting into it, what am I getting? And, this, and we start to think like this in all areas of life, including marriage. What am I, what can this, how can this person satisfy my desires, my needs, my wants? But you see, that's the complete opposite of the biblical view of marriage. You see, marriage, Genesis 2, 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The Apostle Paul quotes that in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 5. And he says, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. This mystery of marriage, where a man and a woman cleave and come together and are united as one flesh, that's, that's, a, that's a mystery. What does that mean to be one flesh? It's, it's a mystery, but it's referring to, it's pointing to Jesus' relationship to his church. A couple weeks ago, I preached on God being like our husband, who seeks after his people like a husband with a spousal love. That's the kind of love that our human marriages are supposed to point to and to be a reflection of. Christ's love for the church. And did Christ love the church because of what the church could do for him? No, I don't think so. Right? Because the church sucks. You know, people suck. People are sinful. They're twisted. They're messed up. They turn away from God over and over and over again. But God commits himself 
to them in love. He loses his life so that he can love his people, serve his people, bless his people. That's the kind of love that Christ has for his people. And that's the kind of love that's supposed to be in marriage. It's not what are you getting from the other person, but how can you die to yourself and lose your life just like Christ did on the cross? How can you die to yourself so that you can serve the other person? All your selfish desires, all your selfish needs. Let me tell you something. It's gonna, you're going to have conflicts and clashes in marriage. Why? Because you are sinful. And let me tell you also something. The other person is also sinful. And when you put two sinners together, that's a recipe for conflict. <laughs> and it makes things hard. Yeah, it's just, just simple Bible teaching. But if you want to make a marriage work, you got to understand that, hey, God's design for marriage is like Christ's love for his church. You die to yourself. You die to your desires and what you want so that you can love the other person, just like Christ loved the church. But you see, so, some of us today, we, we're, we have all these idealistic, we have such high standards, some of us, right? We want this person to tick, check off all the boxes. We make this list. They got to check off all the boxes, you know, and if they fall short of one, it's like, uh, maybe I'll pray about it. You know what I mean? And if they check off all these boxes and they fit my desire, my ideal of what I want, you know, some of us are so selfish. We don't want to, we don't even want to die to our own desires before marriage. You know what I mean? We don't want to give up our goals, our dreams, our freedoms. Because if, if you get marriage, it, that, that limits your options. It, it limits your options of who else you might come across in the future. That's true. It limits your options about what you can do with your life, with your time, with your resources. And, you know, to be married to something, uh, to something. <laughs> to, be married, to be married to someone. <laughs> you got you to give up things. You got to learn to even die to yourself to even enter into a marriage. But our culture teaches us to look at me, me, me. What's in it for me? How's it satisfying me? What's the other person going to do for me? That's why, you know, some people, they have this totally unrealistic view of marriage. And then that's why some people, they just, they don't want to get married. They just want to cohabit and live together. Because then you get all the benefits of marriage. Right? You, get, you get that intimacy, companionship. You get the sex. You get to live together. But you don't have the commitment. You know, when the person starts to annoy you, oh, when you find out that that person is like this, then you can, you can always get out. There's an escape clause. But you see, that's not how Christ loves his people. That's not how Jesus loves his church. Let me tell you something. He finds out a lot about us. Actually, he knows all things, so, you know, but you know what I'm saying, right? So he knows a lot about us that any other person would leave us and leave that kind of commitment. But Jesus, he stays. He's committed. You know what that kind of relationship is called? It's called the covenant. What's a covenant? Nobody talks about covenant these days but I want to talk about it 
because it's, it's very important to understanding marriage. You see, Jesus' relationship to the church is a covenant. There's a covenant relationship versus a contractual relationship versus just a consumer relationship. Yeah, there's all kinds of relationships, but a covenant relationship is very unique because a covenant relationship is it's like a contract in some ways. It's binding, right? You're committing to something, and you're committing yourself, and I will not get out of this relation, this covenant, this contract of sorts. It's, it, it's binding in that sense. So it's like a contract, and yet it's much more intimate. It's much more personal than a contract. You will never say to a business partner that you sign a contract with, I, this at last, my, my business partner that I've been waiting for all my life. You know what I mean? Like, you, know, you, you don't do that. I mean, you, you, you know, you might go out for like a drink or go out for dinner, but you know, you don't, you don't connect to your business partner, your contractual partner in that way. But in a marriage, there's a, there's a, there's a binding uh, aspect to that relationship, like a contract, and yet there's an intimacy that can go so much deeper because you're committed. So many people think today that, oh, why do we have to get married? You know, why can't you, know, why can't you just believe that I love you? Don't you know that I love you? Right? We don't need a piece of paper to show that I love you. Right? Don't you just know? Don't you just, can you just trust me? Can you just believe that? It's like, yeah, I, I believe that you love me, but hey, if you're not committed to me in a marriage, then you could just walk out at any time. And you see, if you're not in a marriage, there's no security, right? You're always having to impress the other person because, hey, if you fall short and if you do something wrong that the other person doesn't like about you, then they can get out. So you're always having to be on your best behavior. You're always having to impress. But in a covenant, the person is committed to you. So, hello, you can be yourself. All your true colors, all your sins all your flaws, and it's like, hey, too bad. You're stuck with me. No, 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 that's not how it is. It's like, it's like, no, your love for me is so deep like a covenant that you are committed to me because you can get to know me down to the bottom of who I am, and yet you are still committed to me because we're in a covenant. And that's Jesus' love for us. That's Christ's love for us. That he knows all our sins. He knows how deeply messed up and wicked we are. And yet He still loves us. And He is committed to us. And He will not leave us. That's the kind of love that marriage is supposed to reflect, supposed to display. That's that kind of view of marriage. It's so much greater than our culture's shallow view of marriage where it's all about personal fulfillment. What can that person do for me? There's no security in that kind of love. Even when people get, do get married. You know, it's like that Kanye West song, we want prenup, we want, you know what I mean? There's, there's always a way out. Right? What's the point of getting married? If you, get, you know, you, you're not understanding what a marriage is. And when you, when you get married at a wedding, you say vows to each other, and you say, you know, what, what kind of vows are you saying? 
You're not saying, I love you. I'm committed to you. You know, I, 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 I love you more than anything in this world. That, that's not, those are not vows. Those are statements about how you feel. But what are the vows? It says, I will love you. I will be faithful to you. I will never leave you. For richer or poorer, health, sickness, till death do us part, no matter what we go through, I promise to love you and to be with you. That's a vow. It's not how you feel right now. It's what are you going to do in the future, in the rest of your life. See, a marriage is about a commitment. It's about a promise that you make about what you're going to do. It's not about how you feel right now. And so you see, in that kind of relationship, man, there's, there's security. Yeah, there might be shame at, at times, like in Adam and Eve's marriage. But as both of you, by God's grace, learn to love each other like Christ loved the church, 